All right, it's good to be with you. Um, I want to start by showing you some different scenes, some different pictures, and I want you to consider this question as you look at these scenes. What is the thread that ties these different situations, these different scenes together? What do they have in common? And I want to give you a hint. It's not just that there are people in every picture. It's not just that there are people in every scenario, or every situation, all right? So let's, let's go through these. The first one, you got a coffee shop here, all right? You got a busy coffee shop, people doing their own thing, get the baristas, the workers, people studying. These guys probably up to trouble, all right? Okay, you got a classroom here, looks like some late elementary, maybe sixth graders, I don't know, I can't even tell how old kids are these days, but uh, that's there, okay? Then we got the workspace, the open concept where everybody's working together in just one giant room, so there they are, everybody in their screens. Got a mom and a daughter doing their art project, which mom looks forward to cleaning up later. And then there, there we have the, the meeting place of, of Grace Fellowship. So this very room, right, just a little bit ago. So thinking through, what are, these, what are these scenes, these situations have in common? All right, so lock that away. We'll come back to it. Before we get there, I want to ask you to open your Bibles or turn in your devices uh, to Psalm 34, as you heard it read, Psalm 34. We're not going to go through verse by verse because it's a lengthy psalm and I want to still be liked somewhat, um, so we'll, we'll jump around a little bit, um, but we are going to look at a very pervasive question and a serious question for the second part of this series, and the question is this, how can my loneliness begin to end? How can my loneliness begin to end? We know that loneliness is a, is a complex feeling, it's multifaceted, and it manifests, and various ways and at different times in our lives. And we want to consider and think about how pervasive it is in our, in our culture, in our society, in our lives. But even before we get there, I want to make an assertion. And I think it's a bold assertion, but I think our experience backs it up. And if you're open to it, I think you, you might even agree by the time we're done. I would submit to you that every instance, every Every moment of isolation or loneliness in your life, every season or stretch of loneliness that you may go through, that you've been through in the past, that you're going through now, or that's coming your way in the future, every instance of loneliness is an echo of the cry of our soul's deepest longing, which is to be in a united relationship with the Father. To say it another way, Hubert Van Zeller says it like this, the soul hardly ever realizes it, but whether he's a believer or not, his loneliness is really a homesickness for God. It's a homesickness. If you've ever been homesick and you finally get home, you realize there's the rest that is there, there's the comfort once you get home. And in a way, our loneliness is the declaration of our souls, even when we don't realize it, that we are longing to be with God. Our souls are made to rest in God. And so to bear that out, as we look in this psalm, I wanna look at a couple different moves that we'll make together. First, some situations uh, in which loneliness can live and loneliness can thrive, and we'll use the context of Psalm 34 as well to set that up. And then we'll make a turn, we'll move into actions, decisions that we can make in order to move through loneliness and begin to leave loneliness behind. So beginning with Psalm 34, one thing becomes clear as we read this psalm, there's some things that have been going on in David's life. So look at verse six, for instance. 
David says of himself, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord, many people think that's Jesus, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. So there's something that has happened in David's life so that he feels he can call himself this poor man. He's been humbled. He's been humbled. He's been brought to the end of himself, and he doesn't have answers. He doesn't have a solution. It's just, here's my situation, Lord, and I'm trusting that you're going to meet me in this. Or if you look at verse 19, he says, one who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. In other words, if you think that coming to faith in Christ, if you think that following the Lord, listening to the voice and the will of the Spirit is going to lead you away from all afflictions, think again. The righteous have many adversities, probably more so than if you chose unrighteousness in this world. And so something's going on that makes us wonder, well, what is, what's happened in David's life? And you can read the little prescripts that come uh, above every psalm, and it gives you some insight. And so I wanna do just a, a brief sketch a teaser or trailer, if you will, of what's been going on in David's life to get us to this point where he's now reflecting on what's already happened. So prior to Psalm 34, David has been on the run from King Saul. If you're familiar with the story of Israel, the Old Testament, Saul is the first king. He's you know, head and shoulders above everybody else, and he's built a pretty, pretty strong uh, nation of Israel. And David has worked his way up from, from shepherd boy, you know, to the king's heart player, to second in command over all of Israel. Saul doesn't like that a whole lot. He doesn't like the popularity that David is gaining. I mean, David, if you're speaking of like social media, he's trending, like he's on the up. He's got people writing songs and chants about him. They're, they're singing things in public like Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So like instead of followers on social media, they just had dead bodies. And like that was your following. Like that's what puts you in a certain place in society. And what we come to find out about Saul is he's an insecure leader. And as insecure leaders do, he starts trying to get rid of the threat. He attempts to kill David and he chases him out of town. So David has to flee. And he does so over this series of events until eventually he makes his way to Gath, as in Goliath of Gath, the giant that he killed before, the sworn land of the enemy of Israel, the Philistines. And so you can imagine the king of Gath does not much appreciate David's presence. But that's just how desperate David is, that he would go into this enemy territory to be able to hide out, to be safe. But now his life's threatened again, and he's got to make a choice of how he's going to survive. And David makes a choice in a moment that I imagine left him feeling so lonely and isolated, maybe in a way that you can identify with, even if the situation's not the same. He decided that he would pretend to be insane in the presence of this king. And so he started scribbling on walls and doors. He, he started letting saliva and spit run down his beard. I mean, just looking like a madman, probably muttering things incoherently just to throw these people off and, and let, that they would let him go. And he succeeds. But I can just imagine that moment. Here's the, the second in command over all of Israel. And, and bear in mind, he's already been anointed the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. So he knows the Lord's plan for him, but trying to reconcile that with spit, saliva running down his face, I can't imagine. 
And so we, we may not be able to identify with the exact situation that David's in, but we can understand that feeling of isolation and abandonment and betrayal and loneliness. And, and I know for the last couple of years, one pandemic has stolen most of the headlines and rightfully so, but as we come out of that pandemic, we find ourselves in another one. And it is a pandemic, it is worldwide. Loneliness and isolation and conversations about mental health are everywhere in all the countries and all the age groups and demographics. In America, the CDC reported that during COVID and coming out of COVID, anxiety rose from 8% to 25%. A quarter of the population of America struggling, battling through anxiety. Depression was up from 6% to 24%. Again, another almost 90 million Americans. One in four people you pass by are likely either struggling and battling through anxiety or depression. And what's especially staggering is that among those in America ages 10 to 24, the leading cause of death is now suicide. Suicide is the leading cause of death ages 10 to 24 in America. And what's even sadder in a way is that two out of three of the people that feel that sense in, in, their, in their lives, in their hearts, in their souls, they say nothing to no one. They don't give voice to it. They don't speak it. They don't tell anyone. They don't get help. And so these lies of loneliness are perpetuated as they grow up and as they mature. And so across the country, we hear these, these homesick souls crying out for the Lord. And, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the question I think that makes sense for us to wrestle with is why is loneliness even a thing? Like, why is it even a problem? If you think about it, what's really wrong with loneliness? Because if it's as some people say, say, in, say in the world that, uh, you know, it's, it's time plus matter plus chance, that's how life happens, you know, it's really kind of this survival of the fittest sort of thing and and, and however you fall, you know, along those lines, well, what's wrong with being a little bit alone if it means you've survived, if it means you made it? And, and the answer to that for the, for the Christian would be, well, we believe that you're created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like we sang, that you're created by this co-equal, co-eternal, unified being. And that that, was, that desire, that need was placed inside of us in creation because we're created in his image, in his likeness. I mean, it took all of two minutes in creation for God to say, it is not good for man to be alone. And every woman said, duh, we know, right? But it's also why babies from the moment of birth are seeking connection and attachment. It's why being just held in an orphanage is so important for babies, that connection, it's there, it's in our souls. And it explains so much of why this is such a big deal in our lives and in our world. And so we also know though from experience that, that loneliness really knows no limits, no bounds as to who it will go after. I was just having a conversation with some friends about this the other day, but one group in particular that I, I think about is stay-at-home moms. And this could have to do with dads too, but I read a study specifically about stay-at-home moms that said that 25% of stay-at-home moms struggle and battle with depression and feelings of loneliness, isolation, 
even a sense of a, of a loss of, of purpose. And if you're in that season or if you've done that thing, you know how hard it can be. You know how lonely it can feel. And I remember back when, when my wife was staying at home with our kids, we had four kids in five years, and that doesn't include a miscarriage, which is its own lonely season and, and happening. But she was at home with our four kids, and she would tell people, she would try to talk to women just about how hard it was, how she's feeling just, oh, this is, this is difficult. It feels like, you know, the movie Groundhog Day, where it's just you wake up and it's the same thing over and over and over again. And you're like, I may take this truck off the cliff. Like, you know what it feels like. And she would tell women, and they would say something almost like on cue, oh, but it's such a blessing. It's such a blessing to do that. And you're going to look back, and you're going to be so glad you did that. And they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. She's glad she did it. But what she was looking for was someone to go, girl, it is hard. Like, it is hard. It is a struggle. It is a battle. You are on the front lines. You don't even know the spiritual struggle that's surrounding all of you, all, all of everything that you're doing right now. It is hard. But I can promise you it's going to be worth it. And so what happens there, it happens in marriages. Some of you may be in a marriage or you know people in marriages where it's a husband and wife, but man, one of them feels or both of them feel completely isolated in that relationship. That you're too ashamed or you're too embarrassed to say something or to do something about it. Or there may be a list of other reasons that you feel lonely. And I just, I wrote some of these down because people just can't identify with you when you've lost a parent at a young age and they still have their parents or, and their grandparents and great-grandparents and they don't know what it's like to attend the funeral of, of their parent when you're in your 30s or your 20s or when, however old you may be. Or you've had a sibling or child die of an, over, of an overdose. You're the parent of a child with disabilities and you are just alone in your exhaustion. People can't understand how tiring it is. You're the victim of abuse, you're fostering a child, you're trying to adopt. You've been a healthcare worker or educator over the last two years and you are barely hanging on. There's isolation and loneliness everywhere. And so if you think back to the pictures that, that I showed before, you think back to the elementary classroom, the coffee shop, the workplace, all those different things. What those different scenes and scenarios have in common is that loneliness and isolation can live and thrive in each of those. In this room right now, loneliness and isolation is alive and well. We, we are alone together oftentimes. People go to a coffee shop and they are alone together. They go to work and they are alone together. So it's expansive, it is pervasive. And I share all this with you to say this. The number one, I would say the primary lie that we tend to believe in the midst of these seasons, in the midst of these times of loneliness is this, I'm all alone in my loneliness. I'm all alone in my loneliness. Nobody understands what I'm going through. No one is with me. I, I know that other people are lonely but they don't experience it like I experience it. Nobody can really identify. And it just may be that you're here for the Lord to speak over you to just say, that is a lie from the enemy. You are not alone in your loneliness. If you could reach in and just separate out the, the souls, the hearts of those people that you pass in this room, on the street, at work, at school, on teams, wherever, you would find similar feelings. 
And you would find that same homesick feeling that you have to belong, to be in relationship. And so the question remains, what do we do with it? How do we begin to move out of loneliness? Not saying it'll never return, but, but what, what are some actions we do? What can some steps that we take? And to start the move, I wanna look at just two actions that David modeled as he's in this place in Psalm 34, reflecting back over this season. And I wanna say as a disclaimer, because I think it needs to be said, what I'm about to say, these two actions in no way negate the legitimate need that some people have for medicine, for clinical help, for whatever it may be when it comes to mental health. This in no way negates that. I am not in, for one second, pretending like, if you'll do these two things, you're gonna leave here today and it's just gonna be rainbows and Skittles and butterflies and you'll never struggle again. That's not how, it, that's not how it's gonna play. But I, I would say that I think the Lord can use these actions to come alongside the common grace of medicine and bring healing to your soul, right? Okay, so number one, the first thing in the list, look up. Look up to the Lord. Loneliness has a way of making us go in, of, of navel-gazing, of, of, of isolating and getting away from even our faith. And the first thing that David says over and over again is, look up, raise your eyes high. He says in the first few verses, he says, bless the Lord, boast in the Lord, proclaim his greatness. And I hear it. Some of you are already like, oh, thanks, pastor. Look to God. It's gonna fix it. I get it. I get that way. I have to check my own heart and be like, wait, do I really believe this? Do I really think like the first step is look up? And it's, yes, I do. Because, and the reason I've gotta be reminded, the reason we have to be reminded is we share a disease together. It's called spiritual amnesia. We all suffer from it. It's why we need the Psalms. It's why Israel has entire Psalms devoted to just telling over and over again the stories and the encounters of God's deliverance in their lives because they get to the next thing and they go, well, I don't, God's not gonna pull us through this one. And so it's like a gentle shoulder shake of the Lord saying, look at me. It's, it's a loving dad lifting the chin and saying, I'm right here. I'm going to get you through this too. And that's what the Psalms do. Look up. And, and here's what I would say. Some of us on this part tend to stall out because we have in our minds that when we are in a dark place, when we are in despair, the Lord is gonna do one of those like moves from backdraft where he just busts through the door with the battle ax and drags us out of the smoke and we didn't even know the, the rescuer was coming. And yet when you read the text, when you read David's words, he actually says there's, there's something on our part to do. In verse four, what does David say? He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. In other words, I didn't sit back and wait till I got a feeling. Like if you're waiting on the feeling, you could be waiting a long time before you make a step towards the Lord, before you draw near. He says, no, I, I sought the Lord. And throughout the Psalm, I cried out. I poured myself out. That's all I knew to do. And some of us, that's all we know to do. And that is a faithful move on your part. It's a faith-filled move. And, and some of you are like, I just don't think the Lord's going to hear me. And if that's you, you're actually in a pretty good place. If you look at verse 18, here's what David says. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. 
So David goes, look, if, if you are in that place of loneliness and isolation, if you feel like you've been abandoned and betrayed and left all by yourself, you're in the perfect position to experience God in a powerful way. You too can be brought to the end of yourself to where you could say with David now at the beginning of this psalm, let us bless the Lord. This poor man cried, this poor woman cried, and the Lord heard me and, and responded. And that's what we read all throughout this psalm, that the Lord hears, the Lord delivers, the Lord rescues. The Lord will not condemn us. He will not forsake us. In fact, I would say God is as close to you as your next breath. If you look at verse one of this psalm, and this is true throughout the Old Testament, you'll notice it says, I will bless the Lord, and then you get the Lord, and usually it's like a capital L and then a capital O-R-D, but they're in a different size, and you're like, what is that? And some of you already know, that, that represents the, the name, the personal name of God, Yahweh, that was given to Moses at the burning bush. You remember this story? Moses goes before the Lord. He's being called into ministry, and Moses says, I'm not a really good speaker, and he says, I, I know, I made you. Um, he says, I've done some things in my past. I don't really know that you're gonna use me. He said, I know, I saw you. And Moses says, well, how will people know that it's really you? And he says, tell them Yahweh sent you. Tell them I am who I am, or I will be who I am. Tell them that that is who is sending you. And that's what Moses goes with, a name, Yahweh. And what's unique about this is that the, the name Yahweh is only made up of three letters in Hebrew, Yod, Hey, Vav. It's our, our Y-H-W. And what scribes and priests have noted for a long time is that it's the only three letters in the Hebrew alphabet that you can vocalize without using your teeth or your tongue or your lips. And you're like, that's fantastic. Thank you. Why does that matter? I think it's beautiful. Some of you may think, okay, save that for the next thing. But I think it's beautiful because you can actually breathe in and out the name of Yahweh. 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 Would you dare to try it? Some of you are going to pass out, but it will resuscitate you. You want to try it? Some of you are being too cool. Come on. Here's what I think is, is so beautiful about this. In the same way that at the beginning of time, God reached down and breathed the air, breathed spirit into the nostrils of Adam. In that same way, he has breathed into us, into our lungs, his very spirit, his very name. So that when David says in this psalm, uh, may, the, may the praise, may the blessings of God be on our lips at all times, it can be because his name is in our lungs at all times. That every woman and man who's ever walked the earth or been alive has testified to the glory of God simply by the act of breathing. And so we are in despair, when you're in darkness, when you're in turmoil, when you feel alone, God is right there with you in every single breath. And there's power in that. So every human being has the potential to look up when all you feel like doing is looking down, to raise your eyes when you feel like looking down and staring at the floor or just going inward. You can look up to the Lord and he's right there saying, I will make your face radiant. You will not be covered in shame. So look up. The second thing David says is open up. 
He, he says in verse three, proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. There is no us or together without other. And I get it. When you're already feeling lonely, it's actually easier to get away from people. It's easier to turn in on ourselves. It's easier to abandon community when we need it the most. It's like that really hard conversation that you've been meaning to have. Anybody have one of those lingering right now? You wait, a few days go by, it gets harder to have the conversation, a week goes by, and then a few more weeks, and then you go, what? What's the point? This isn't even gonna make sense anymore, just forget it. And we can do that with our loneliness, with our spiritual lives. And I wanna try to illustrate for you why it is so crucial to push through it, to do the courageous thing. All right, so how many of you um, have ever watched like a Discovery Channel special, or maybe you saw the Planet Earth series, which was an amazing uh, just testimony to God's creativity and, and beauty around the world? Um, inevitably, it always comes in these kinds of specials to this scene where the camera zooms in on like a, a flock of whatever, it could be water buffalo, gazelles, antelope, zebra, and you, you know what they're doing. They're not showing you like the beauty of the pack. You're like, someone's about to die. Like, who's it gonna be? That one, right? And then they, they pan over and they show you what's coming through the weeds. It's the, it's the big cat on the hunt, right? It's the, the lion, it's the jaguar, the cheetah, whatever. And then it pans back over to, to the pack and they see, they're like, you see that? I see it. You see it? Yeah, I see it, right? And they're all up, like, looking around, just like they do. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And then they take off as a group. And the predator kind of just, unlike cats do, like, it feels like there's always stalking, waiting to kill you, like, even the ones in your house, I'm just saying. But it's like, they're just stalking up, and they're like, all right, who's it going to be? And what are they looking for? They're looking for somebody that's isolated or weak, right? Like, who's the, who's the slow one? Who's the weak one? or who in the midst of the confusion takes off on their own, and then that's the one they go after, right? And as soon as it does, you're like, dinner time, this is it. And sometimes they get away and you're like, that's awesome, <laughs> good, for you. good skills, but their day's coming, right? And I tell you that just to say this, you have a predator, you have an enemy, far more dangerous than any big cat that you see on any of those specials. The Apostle Peter says it like this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Anyone. Doesn't care your status, doesn't care your situation, doesn't care your age or stage of life. Anyone he can devour, that's who he looks for. And what is his strategy? Weakness, a foothold that he can get in there, and isolation. Weakness and isolation so that our best chance of surviving and thriving is if we stay together, if we are in community and fellowship together. And that has been put in our hearts. And so I think for some of us, it's gonna mean choosing courage rather than waiting to feel courageous. It's like this scene that I've done so many times, like treading water in the deep end, looking at my kid up on the high dive saying, Come on, like you can do it. Daddy's here, his legs are tired, but you can do it. Come on, I got you. If you've lived that situation, you know what it feels like. And I think for some of us, when it comes to community, maybe you've gotten to the edge of the board and your toes have been dangling for some time now, and you're trying to work up the courage to jump. 
And the Lord is looking at you and treating you, saying, I've got you. I'm, a pro- I'm not going to let you drown. I promise I've got you. And I think in this scenario as well, there's, the Lord's looking to others and saying, hey, you've been through it. It's time to get in the pool. Like you're part of the rescue team now. You get in there, you tread water, and you say, come on, jump. We're, we're here with open arms for you. We're ready to receive you into this community, into this fellowship. And we'll walk with you through the hard things. And so on either side of that, it's why we're highlighting groups these next couple of Sundays. All you gotta do is walk out of the room and go, fill out a card, talk to somebody, no matter what age or stage. There's a group that you can get in. You can take that courageous next step. And so starting today, we can take the actions. We can look up, we can open up. And I wanna share with you someone's story who has modeled this in an amazing way in extremely adverse circumstances. Some of you know our global outreach coordinator, Benjamin Cassoni. Uh, Benjamin is a humble man. He is a gifted man. Um, he is so kind. He is compassionate. He has so much joy that it, it is contagious. If you get around him, you can't not be joyful. I was praying with him this morning, and I was like, all right, I can, I'll, whatever somebody throws at me today, I'm good. Like, we're, we're good. He is teaching me how to pray, and I'm one day shy of two months on staff, but I feel better for having been around him. But I wanna tell you his story, and he gave me permission. I wanna tell you his story because there is no reason on this earth Benjamin should be the way he is. No reason. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, where Benjamin's from, he was a school principal, he was a pastor, a leader in his denomination, he was a writer, he's written two books, he was a radio personality, he he was on the up. I mean, his, his future was bright for leadership in his, his congregation, in his community, in his country. And in 2009, much like David in this psalm, Benjamin had to flee his country. There were threats being made against his life. And he took those threats seriously because the same group that was making these threats, these politicians, these kind of movers and shakers in the community had already murdered his brother. In fact, Benjamin had been in his brother's office meeting with him just five minutes before that happened. But Benjamin escaped, and the thought was that they were supposed to be assassinated at the same time. And so he's there, he's in his home country, but he's alone, he's isolated, he does not know who he can trust. And a a group of men and women at, at Grace Fellowship heard about this because Benjamin's Sister and brother-in-law are supported here. They work at Crew at ETSU, working with African immigrants in that ministry, and it's a, it's a glorious thing that they do. And so, so some people here at GFC heard about that. And, and, and Cynthia invite for Benjamin to fly the 8,000 miles from his home and come here and settle for a little while before, just to let the heat die down, just to let the threats fade, and then he could go back maybe three, four months and begin his leadership again, begin his ministry again. But not long after he got here, his, his wife, their eight children, their 12 grandchildren, they started getting threats against their lives. And so Benjamin had to make the difficult decision to move them from their home all the way on the other side of the country just for their safety. And then he made the decision to apply for asylum in the U.S. for safety. And since then, since 2009, Benjamin has not seen his family. He has not seen his wife He has not kissed his children. He has not held his grandbabies. He only knows some of them from photos. 
And so that three months has become 13 years. Just this past Wednesday, his 91-year-old mother passed away. He'd already buried his dad, wasn't able to be there. And she was just buried this morning. We were getting updates from him. And so again, just feeling that sting of loneliness and isolation with every instance like that. Benjamin told me about the difficulties, the, the lonely years that he had back home, just feeling unsafe wherever he went, not knowing who he could trust. Even his own denomination, the leaders there turned against him because of some political moves and power plays. So he was completely isolated. And then he comes to America and he's still isolated. There's times that he can't drive, he can't get a license, which means he can't work. And then he said there was just that cultural gap as well. He's like, Americans, you, you're so individualistic. I said, well, yes. We, we can be. He said, Africa, it's so communal. You walk out and you just talk, and I, I feel like I'm offending people sometimes, just talking to them. And I said, yes, that can happen. And so he's got all these struggles just trying to come and, and acclimate. But he doesn't get bitter. He doesn't grow despondent. He leans in and opens up, and he finds a community here. He finds a faith family, brothers and sisters in Christ, he looks up and meditates deeply on God's word. He really like leaned into the stories of like a Joseph and Daniel, these guys that knew what it was to be in a certain position but then be betrayed, to be lied about, to have their lives threatened. But also guys that he saw the Lord work through those situations and circumstances in a way that he couldn't have done otherwise. And he says it was that pouring over God's word that changed his perspective from being me-centered to God-centered. The, the woe is me to the great is he. That was what transformed him. And I wanna read for you what he says about his current situation. He says, in Johnson City, I live alone in an apartment, but I no longer feel lonely knowing that God is always with me as he has promised in his word. I do not focus on my loneliness, but on the positive things God is doing for, in, and through me. I do ministry among African immigrants, refugees, and international students, many of whom go through moments of loneliness from time to time. God is helping me identify with their struggles because I've been there. Trusting God in loneliness does not just happen. I love that he says that. It does not just happen. It is a hard decision, but it is worth it. It is a hard decision, but it is worth it. Benjamin never says that he doesn't ever feel lonely, but he knows the way through it. He knows to continue looking up and leaning into the Lord. He knows to open up and lean into fellowship and community. And then he gets to see God use his story in a powerful way. And some of you, you will never know what God wants to do through you until you'll trust him enough to open up and let him use you in that way. But you've got to share it. You've got to be known and be open to that. So the invitation for everyone this morning, and we'll, we'll close with this, is in verse eight of this psalm. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Pull up a seat at the table. This, this parallels so well with Psalm 23 where David says, the Lord sets a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Like in the midst of my enemies, the Lord sets a table and says, here's your seat. Not after he's pulled me out of despair, not after he's pulled me out of loneliness, after the betrayal, after the divorce, after whatever it may be, in the midst of it, here is your seat, here is your nameplate, 
welcome. And I don't know, I, maybe I'm strange. Well, I know I'm strange. But maybe I read this in a strange way. I read this verse as a dare. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Pull up a seat at the table. Get eyes, get ears, get, get your senses all around it, and then you tell me that the Lord is not good. Try it. Just try And in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together in which we will physically taste and see the goodness of God in his eternal plan for redemption. And the reason that we can taste and see the Lord's goodness in communion is because Jesus entered into our loneliness. Jesus entered into every situation and has shown us that he knows what it means to be lonely. He knows what it is to be betrayed and to be brokenhearted. He knows what it is to be crushed in spirit. And none of us know what it's like to bear the weight of the sin of humanity, to bear the weight of that guilt for all men, for all women who've ever been created and who will ever walk this earth. And none of us knows what it's like for the Father to forsake us because Jesus took that for us. Because the Father turned his face away from Jesus, we never have to have the Father turn his face away from us. And so we're going to prepare our hearts for that time in communion. So as we, as we sing in response, in fact, um, Stephen was gracious enough to, to learn this song I asked. It's, it's Psalm 34, and it's put to words. And so it's a chance for some of you just to, to bring to God, like Matt said, bring to God what is in you, not what ought to be in you. Just open yourself up and just say, Lord, what do you want to do? Let's, we're going to exalt your name. We're going to praise your name. And we're going to expect for you to do something mighty. So we're going to prepare our hearts in that way. Let's pray. Oh God, we confess Sometimes we have a hard time believing that you are near to us. We have a hard time seeing your presence. We have a hard time grasping why we're going through certain things, why this situation, whatever it may be. Lord, there's so many here in that place right now. But Lord, we thank you for the reminder of Psalm 34 for all the Psalms that remind us that this, this life is messy, that even following you is messy. But Lord, you give us hope. You give us not just these, these words to savor, Lord. You give us the wounds to see, the wounds of Jesus. So I pray now as we respond, oh, Holy Spirit, would you fall fresh on us? Would you pour into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our memories, our hopes and dreams? Do the work that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name.